Mailiki looks to uphold the sanctity of the forests of Faerun. Her worshippers do much in the way of teaching people how best to interact with the woods around them. I'm Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. With Mailiki, we get to tackle how a deity from two or more separate pantheons operate functionally in D&D canon. For those of you who listened to the Ogma, Tyr, and or Sylvanas episodes in the past, I'm going to be giving the same overview as I did at the start of those episodes, so feel free to skip ahead a couple minutes. A few deities from the Faerunian pantheon come from other pantheons. Each one of these deities exists in a pantheon from our real-world religions that have polytheistic beliefs. Ogma and Sylvanas are Celtic deities, Loviatar and Mailiki are Finnish deities, and Tyr is a Norse deity. Each of these deities is classified as an interloper deity, compared to that of native deities. Native deities of the Forgotten Realms are those that were around during the creation of Toril like Shantia or Shar, or arose sometime after during the timeline of Toril, like Torm or Siric. An interloper deity is a deity who was worshipped on another plane or material world until their presence and influence was brought through to Toril via their worshippers or other means. To the vast majority of people on Toril, they are not aware of such things or would even concern themselves with such a categorization, though theological scholars are interested in such a delineation. The five deities I listed earlier are included in this category alongside the racial pantheons like the Drow Pantheon as I've covered in the past or the Orcish Pantheon, just as some examples. Interloper deities were allowed into the crystal sphere of realm space presided over by Eo for a long time. That was until Eo began putting up the formal boundaries around what entity could exist as a deity in realm space. Now here's where the canon conflicts a bit. In the 3rd edition supplement of Faiths and Pantheons, it says that the aspect of a deity in Toril is independent to that of the aspect of a deity on another plane or world, which I can agree with somewhat. As I will talk about further into the podcast, Mailiki as she exists in the Finnish Pantheon is similar to Mailiki as she exists in the Faerunian Pantheon in some respects. Mailiki in the Finnish Pantheon lacks a strong tie with rangers that she holds in the Faerunian Pantheon. As a result, she is only described to hold one appearance and aspect known as the Forest Queen in the Finnish Pantheon. Thus, a Finnish devotee would be confused if they were to meet her in the guise of the Supreme Ranger, the Supreme Ranger being her other well-known form in the Forgotten Realms. However, the issue I take with what this supplement from 3rd edition says is that if a team of adventurers native to Toril were capable of reaching Mailiki's realm of the Grove of the Unicorns in the Outer Plane of the Beastlands and slaying Mailiki, only the Toril aspect of Mailiki would die. That means, in some mystical way, which I will admit definitely fits the power of a deity, Mailiki in the Finnish pantheon would still persist. The perspective I agree with most is that taken by the second edition supplement Face and Avatars. In this supplement, it is stated that deities who exist in pantheons outside of Toril are the same as deities as they are in the pantheons of Toril, in that, if the same adventuring party from Toril kills Mailiki under this perspective, they kill Mailiki both in the Faerunian pantheon 
and in the Finnish pantheon across any prime material worlds or planes where she is venerated. Though the supplement does stipulate, quote, even then one has to be careful not to assume too much, end quote. Either way, I think a DM trying to adhere to canon is free to use either perspective or a combination of both. It is important to note that when describing deities taken from our own world religions, the authors do point out that they did take some liberties and creative freedoms with their descriptions. As it is, I know very little of anything about our real-world Finnish pantheon and belief system. I'm just going to present what it is the D&D books say, and I will leave it to those who are far more knowledgeable to comment on what it is the D&D authors got correct or incorrect. Titles My leaky goes by the following titles in the Forgotten Realms. Our Lady of the Forest, Daughter to Sylvanus, The Forest Queen, and The Supreme Ranger. My leaky's only known title in the Finnish pantheon is Mistress of the Forest. Myliki has one alias the Forgotten Realms. In Rashomon, she is known as Kaliara. Portfolio and Domains Myliki's portfolios in the Finnish pantheon are Nature and Forests. Myliki's portfolios in the Faerunian pantheon are Forests, Dryads, Rangers, and Autumn. Myliki's suggested domain for 5th edition is Nature. I will argue for war only because Myliki does have martial themes to her worship especially considering she is the patron of rangers. Appearance and Manifestations Myliki is both described and has appeared in two primary guises in the Forgotten Realms. Sometimes she looks to be a young human female with hair made from moss and leaves and wearing clothes both green and yellow in color. Summer birds of different varieties flit about her head. This guise is known to her faith and others as the Forest Queen. At other times, she has been described to be a lithe woman with russet-colored hair and brown eyes. She wears leather armor that consists of muted green and brown colors. Should she need to ride into battle, the unicorn deity Leru serves as her mount. It is said that Myliki once went about with deer antlers growing from her head. She did away with these when Bishaba adopted black antlers as her holy symbol. This guise is known as the Supreme Ranger. As the Supreme Ranger, Myliki wields three weapons. The first two are scimitars she calls the Horn Blades. In third edition terms, these weapons are plus five scimitars with the Defending, Holy, Keen, and Mighty Cleaving abilities. Her third weapon is a longbow she calls Heart Song. Again, in third edition terms, this is a plus five Mighty Composite Longbow with a speed special quality. Myliki may lend one of her horn blades out to one of her devout followers temporarily if they are set upon a task of great importance for her faith. Myliki's avatars appear much like her two described guises. In the Finnish pantheon, Myliki is always found wearing a green gown with summer birds around her. This appearance is consistent across all four seasons and consistent with that of the forest queen guise she adopts in the Forgotten Realms. Myliki has three known manifestations. The first and most common manifestation of Myliki is a unicorn. This unicorn can gallop on both the air and ground, and also can teleport freely across Faerun wherever they may please. The unicorn can telepathically speak with a given individual and cast spells with a range of touch through their horn. Her second manifestation is a drifting radiance that is blue, white, or green and rust-colored. 
This Radiance speaks with my Leaky's voice. This Radiance is able to move about items that it surrounds and unleash magic from itself. Her third and final manifestation is used to test her rangers. A mortal woman will appear lost and on her own in the forest. Those who pay particular attention may notice that the feet of this manifestation never touch the ground as they walk. Myliki can communicate her favor or disfavor through the appearance of various creatures. These include dryads, hawks, songbirds, sprites, swan maze, tree ants, unicorns, wolves, and a vast array of other woodland creatures. Abilities Myliki in the Finnish Pantheon is immune to being enchanted or churned by any spell cast 90 feet or closer to herself. No spell from clerics are said to have any effect on her as well. No beast or animal is able to do her harm of any sort, regardless of who may be controlling them. She can summon packs of wolves and flights of hawks to attack those who go against her. As an intermediate Faerunian deity, Myliki always rolls a 20 on any die roll that she makes. A 1 on any attack or saving throw is treated normally and not as an automatic failure. As a deity, she is immortal and likely subject to the various known methods to kill a deity. Her divine senses reach out to a distance of 13 miles, which is approximately 21 kilometers. These senses not only extend out from her, but also from her worshippers, holy sites, objects, or any location in which her name or one of her titles has been spoken in the last hour. She can split her senses out to 10 different places at once. Myliki can block out the divine senses of a deity who is of the same or lower deific rank as herself, at up to two remote locations for a total of 13 hours. Tied to her portfolio sense, Myliki can sense any event that has transpired within a forest or action that despoils or threatens to despoil a forest as the event occurs and then remembers that event for up to a total of 1310 days which is equivalent to 130 days. Finally, Myliki is capable of creating any magic item, armor, and weapons made from some degree of natural products that are less than 200,000 gold pieces in value. Myliki's avatar is capable of walking on air just above the ground, making no steps or tracks as they move about Faerun. Much as she herself has two preferred forms that she adopts, her avatars also adopt either the form of the Supreme Ranger or the Forest Queen. The Supreme Ranger avatar wields the same horn blades that Myliki herself holds. The Forest Queen avatar would rather not engage directly in melee combat, but will do so if need be with unarmed strikes. Her preference though is to cast spells. Both avatars wield a longbow that shoots out arrows that spread life rather than damage and death. Where these arrows land, flora grows extremely rapidly. Myliki's avatars can use these plants to then entangle creatures. Both avatars can create a treant by simply touching a given tree. Simply by being around any good or neutral line creatures, these avatars give off an aura that immediately negates and dispels any enchantment and lingering psionic effects. Both avatars can summon up to a dozen woodland creatures of a given type. Finally, both avatars are immune to necromancy. Personal History Along with Loviatar, Myliki came to Toro to expand their influence outside of the Finnish pantheon at some unknown date, though long before the Time of Troubles. Both these goddesses did so, feeling their fellow members of the Finnish pantheon were waning in their interest to exist as deities. 
Both Loviatar and Maliki, being as young and lively as they are, were not willing to fall into this mindset. Eldeth and Maliki had not yet been raised up to the Outer Plains when the Time of Troubles broke out in 1358 Dale Reckoning. Maliki and Eldeth were both lesser deities who lived down on the prime material world of Toril. Both goddesses came out unharmed from the Time of Troubles, though their face faced difficulties and losses through the machinations of the other fallen deities. However, following Mercule's demise in the Time of Troubles, Maliki took over the portfolio of Autumn from him. In 1369 Dale Reckoning, Maliki moved herself up to the plain of the Eastlands. As I will mention later in this episode, Maliki is said to share this realm with Elona, who is a Greyhawk deity. So I cannot say with any real certainty which of them might have created this shared realm that is the Grove of the Unicorns, though I am of a mind to say it was Elona. This move to the Outer Plains coincided with Eldas' own departure from the Prime Material to the Outer Plains. At the time, Myliki's influence was waning while Sylvanas' was growing, but Myliki had her clergy reorganized and this helped to stem her loss of influence during the Time of Troubles and provided a needed surge in power to establish herself in the Outer Plains. Even after moving up to the Outer Plains, Myliki was said to make her way down to Faerun to wander amongst the forests from time to time. Stories and legends speak to see Myliki among the forests. Though given the Divine Edict of 5th edition and the separation that is much greater between the mortal world and the deities in the Outer Plains, I don't know if this would hold true any longer. Save one of Myliki's manifestations making its way down to the Forgotten Realms and taking the form of her appearance. Personality As an aside, in past episodes I have been disregarding the current division of deific power levels in 5th edition. That's because, if I can take a moment here to voice my opinion, I do not prefer the power levels given in the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide. I much prefer the system that was in place from 1st edition all the way up to 3rd edition. All that to say, if we are to use the Divine Ranks from 3rd edition, Myliki is very likely still an intermediate deity in present-day Forgotten Realms. But because the intermediate rank does not exist in 5th edition anymore, I'm going to make an educated guess and put her in at the lesser deity status in 5th edition terms. Given that, for example, another intermediate deity who I've talked about in the past, Lolth, is now described to be a lesser deity in 5th edition terms. The intermediate deity rank has been removed entirely from 5th edition and seems to me to be rolled in together to form a greater category of lesser deities. So going forward in future episodes, I will be stating what rank a given deity would be in the divine rank structures of both 3rd edition and 5th edition. Getting back to Myliki though, she is mentioned to be a lesser deity in the Finnish pantheon, though her rank in that pantheon is last given in 2nd edition sources. Either way, she is a goddess who holds a neutral good alignment in both pantheons. Myliki is a cheerful, easygoing, and confident goddess. Though she has some reservations about addressing large audiences, preferring to interact with smaller groups. She is protective of those who are in her fold, though cautious of allowing people into that fold. Myliki understands that death is a part of the natural cycle, 
but she will often intervene to help heal wounded or diseased creatures. While her superior and father figure Sylvanus may let the necessary cycle take its course. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel cosmology used in 1st edition, 2nd edition, and now in 5th edition, Myliki resides in her realm of the Grove of the Unicorns on the first layer of the Beastlands known as Krigala. This same movement from the Prime Material to the Beastlands is noted for Myliki in the Finnish Pantheon from 1st edition to 2nd edition as well. Back when Myliki was a lesser deity during the 1st edition era of the Forgotten Realms, she resided on the Prime Material Plane along with Eldath. The place in which she dwelled down on Faerun was and still is unknown, though there is some credence to the theory that it was somewhere in the area around the Unicorn Run found in the High Forest. The Beastlands also goes by the titles of the Happy Hunting Grounds and the Three-Tiered Wilderness. It is the split neutral good and chaotic good outer plane in between Elysium and Aborea in the Great Wheel. Residing in the Beastlands are the Animal Lords. These Animal Lords are quasi-divine beings that are the powerful embodiments of a given group or family of animals found on Prime Material worlds. Whether they are true deities is a matter of debate, but they are powerful, intelligent entities all the same. The Beastlands, as the name suggests, is a plane of untamed wilderness dominated by animals and other creatures alike. Between all the upper plains and the Great Wheel, the Beastlands lacks the most in any settlements or structures. At most, a camp might be found in one's travels. The souls that depart the prime material to come and reside here manifest as animals, though in the form of these animals they retain their former intelligence and capability to speak. Visitors to the Beastlands also tend to manifest the physical trait of a given animal after spending some time on this wild plain. Though much of the other animals living here are just normal animals and beasts as one would expect on the prime material. There's a multitude of different biomes represented in the Beastlands as well. Though every biome is thriving in both flora and fauna. So a desert biome on this plain is far from barren. The plain is lit by two celestial bodies. Solera, the plain sun, and Noctos, the plain's moon. Travel between the three layers of the Beastlands is fairly easy, with a multitude of portals between each of them. The problem is that since the portals are so numerous, a person might run between two trees and unknowingly wind up on another layer of the Beastlands altogether, and most of these portals are only one way. At this point, it needs to be said that in 3rd edition's Manual of the Plains, the description of Beastlands is much the same, though there is one chief difference. The mortal souls who come to reside here do not turn into animals. Rather, they maintain their humanoid form, but come to develop animalistic traits, much like a shifter from Ebron or Lycanthrope. The first of the three layers of the Beastlands is known as Krigala. Krigala is where Myliki's realm resides. This layer goes by the title of the Layer of Eternal Noon. Here the sun, Solera, hangs above Krigala unmoving. This allows the plant life to grow unrestrained, basking in perpetual sunlight. The river Oceanus, which runs through all the upper plains, runs through this layer as it makes its way from Elysium to Aborea. As mentioned earlier, Myliki shares her realm, the Grove of the Unicorns, with Elona from the Greyhawk setting. The grove has a curious and deceptive appearance if one was to look at it from the outside. To most, it looks only like a simple stand of trees in the middle of a forest. However, if the observer is a known ally and friend to Myliki, 
a unicorn will appear to them and begin to drink from a pool located inside the stand of trees. Suddenly, the realm will then open fully to the observer. Someone who is unworthy will be able to simply walk in between these trees without ever seeing the grove for what it truly is. In the world tree model used in 3rd edition, Myliki's realm of the Grove of the Unicorns can be found on the plane of the House of Nature. The House of Nature is a plane full of wilderness without settlement or fortification. Here animals and humanoids live in a peaceful coexistence. As time progresses, the humanoids here take on animalistic features and eventually turn into celestial animals themselves. This plane is protected by the neutral good celestial anthropomorphic beings known as Gardenals. The Grove of the Unicorns looks like nothing more than save a stand of trees. Here unicorns and celestial chargers are frequent visitors. 3.x sources do not suggest that there's any more to this realm, such as was already described in the second edition sources. In the World Axis cosmology used in 4th edition, Myliki resides on Sylvanus' realm known as the Deep Wilds. Multiple different biomes are found here rather than simply a deep and dense forest. No building or fortification is to be found in this realm. Still, the petitioners here use the necessary tools to get by. Nothing is said specifically of any specific place of residence or personal realm Myliki might hold here. Allies and Allegiances Myliki is allied with a handful of nature-based deities. Her superior is Sylvanus, whom she sees as a paternal figure. One of her titles, Is the Daughter Sylvanus, is indicative of this but she is not his actual daughter. This has led to the development of some misinformed stories claiming that she was birthed following a romantic fling between Sylvanus and Han Ali Se'onil, the elven goddess of love and beauty. Myliki at times is able to sue Sylvanus' wrath in the face of those who act against nature. She and Eldath, whom she sees as a sister, serve Sylvanus in this unnamed group of nature deities. Eldath and Myliki are very close with one another. Myliki's nickname for Eldath is Datha. Then Myliki herself has deities who directly serve her and indirectly, through her, serve Sylvanus. These deities include Gueron Winstrom, Larue, and Shialia. Other allies of Myliki include Lathander and Shandakul. Enemies Myliki's chief foes include Malar, Talos, Talona, and Moander, though Moander is presently deceased. Another of her foes is Mercule, whom she took the portfolio of Autumn away from after Mercule was killed during the Time of Troubles. Dany and Avatar Stat Blocks The third edition stat block for Myliki's Avatar can be found in the supplement Face and Avatars. The third edition stat block for both Myliki and her avatar can be found in the supplement Face and Pantheons. First edition stat block for Myliki and the Finnish Pantheon can be found in the supplement Legends and Lore. Symbols In the Finnish Pantheon, Myliki's symbol is an evergreen tree. In the Faerunian Pantheon, Myliki's faith has three symbols. The first and most well-known symbol of Myliki's is a unicorn head. This unicorn head has blue eyes and a golden horn. The second is a white unicorn out on a green field. The third symbol is a white star on a green leaf. This symbol is said to have been used by her faith before adopting the unicorn head widely. Central Dogma From 3rd edition's Faiths and Pantheons Quote 
Intelligent beings can live in harmony with the wild without requiring the destruction of one in the name of the other. Embrace the wild and fear it not, because the wild ways are the good ways. Keep the balance and learn the hidden ways of life, but stress the positive and outreaching nature of the wild. Do not allow trees to be needlessly felled or the forest burned. Live in the forest and be a part of the forest, but do not dwell in endless battle against the forest. Protect forest life. Defend every tree. Plant anew where death fells a tree. Restore the natural harmony that fire users and woodcutters often disrupt. Live as one with the woods. Teach others to do so. And punish and curtail those that hunt for sport or practice cruelties on wild creatures. End quote. Presence of the Faith Mailiki is worshipped in Faerun by rangers, druids, various fae creatures, a good number of elves, harpers, and foresters. As the patron of rangers, a great amount of rangers hold her as their patron deity. However, a large amount of rangers pray to Mailiki indirectly through the prayers they make out to Gweron Winstrom. This is because Gweron is the messenger between themselves and Mailiki. Her worshippers tend towards the chaotic good, lawful good, and neutral good alignments. A currently known chosen of Mailiki is Jareth Falcon. Jareth is a watered Havian noble who long ago gave up any pretensions of being a socialite after being granted some of Mailiki's essence and power. Throughout her life, she has been a ranger, a harper, and now serves as a guardian of the Emerald Enclave. Jareth is known as Our Lady's Champion, or the granddaughter of Sylvanus. As of the writing of Waterdeep Dragon Heist for 5th edition, she presides over her family manor, known as the Falcon Mirror, in the south ward of Waterdeep. The adventure module describes her as a demigod, and her home is a safe haven for Emerald Enclave members. Mailiki's name is not spoken much, save under the boughs of trees and groves of the many forests of Faerun. This has led to the belief that she is an alien deity who is more concerned with the spiritual and mysterious rather than human concerns. Most people do think that she does watch over kindly folk when they move about forests, however. If children get lost in the forests of Faerun, often people will ask for Mailiki's protection over them. Mailiki also gets misconstrued to be the goddess of the unicorns or another aspect of Larue. This is due to Mailiki's holy symbol in the shape of a unicorn's head. As was said earlier, the two days are deep and strong allies with one another, so common folk are not too far off the mark. The faith of Mailiki is well regarded in those communities that are on the fringes of forests. This has much to do with the Mailikian faith, most often her rangers, protecting these small communities. This is in direct opposition to the aloofness of, say, Sylvanus' faith, and the wanton destruction espoused by Malars. Mailiki's faith is strong and numerous in the northern regions of Faerun, though as I mentioned near the beginning of the podcast, Mailiki is worshipped in Rashomon as Kaliara. In Rashomon, Mailiki's faith is strong and prominent along with Mistras and Shantias. Together, these three deities are known as the Three, though have their own respective aliases. The Mailikian faith has ties with the Harpers. Mailiki was one of the deities to appear in support in the Reformation of the Harpers back in 720 Dale Reckoning. A good number of Mylikian clerics are members themselves. The rest of the faith continue to support the Harpers by ensuring certain woodland refuges, campsites, and meeting places are protected and watched over. 
Of interest is a particular gold dragon by the name of Guildenfire, or his proper draconic name of Arrow Skluge Pilar. I probably butchered that, but I'm going with it. Guildenfire resides up in the high forest. In particular, his lair is found within a cave beneath a massive tree in the Tall Tree Settlement. While he goes about in human form, he is known as Veros Fireshield, and operates as a druid in the 11th circle in Myleki's Faith. For this reason, he has also been given the title of the Druid Dragon. He is unique as well, given his neutral alignment, which goes against the typical lawful good alignment that the vast majority of gold dragons hold. Those of you far more familiar with Dristu Urden and Caddy Bree can likely comment far better than I can on the various associations and relationships that these two have had with Myleki over the years and adventures. In regards to Drist, it is mentioned in older source books he was taught the ways of the ranger by his mentor Montolio de Bruchy, and thus became a faithful member of Myleki's faith. Caterbury at some point, I won't really say when, was made a chosen of Myleki. There is far more to say on this topic, but I realize that I might be treading into spoilers, so I will hold off on that. Given the alchemical arcane and monetary value of unicorn horns, they are heavily sought after items in the Forgotten Realms. Thus, unicorns are hunted by people looking to procure these horns. They have to contend with the followers of Myleki and LaRue, however. It is not unheard of for members of both these faiths to kill unicorn slayers. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy The Mylekian faith is divided into three different branches the Heartwoods, the Arms of the Forest, and the Needles. Collectively, all of them together are called the Walkers of the Forest Way. The clerics and druids of Myleki are collectively known as the Arms of the Forest or the Forest Arms. There is not a large number of them, and they are a scattered group. The little clergy that there is used the rangers sworn to her or one of her supplicant deities as an auxiliary force. That is, if the clerics who are in her faith aren't already rangers themselves. The force arms regress through the following rank structure in ascending order. Questers, who are novices in the faith. Spring stag, who are clergy members with less than two winters of service. Stalkers in the green, who are experienced clergy. Force flames, who are senior members. High rangers, who are leaders and champions of the faith. And hawks of the lady. This last title is given by the lady herself to denote her most cherished and high-ranking followers. Temple staff titles tend to be very simple. Cook, Master of Novices, Door Warden, House Master, Prior, Abbot, and Worship Master, which are all common titles. The Heartwoods are those forest-dwelling creatures who hold Myleki as their patron deity and can communicate and understand the comings and goings of the forest far more intrinsically than a lot of humanoids. This includes creatures like dryads and treants. The needles are the Mylekian rangers. They can serve in a clerical capacity, though obviously they are the martial and warrior branch of the faith. Both forest arms and needles tend to live in force, having more than one given shelter to call home and stores of helpful items placed throughout the forest should they find themselves in a tight spot. Coinciding with her ascension into the Upper Plains in 1369 Dale Reckoning, Myleki brought druids into her clergy once more. I am going to assume that Mylekian druids were off working on their own, possibly estranged, and or ambivalent to the aims of the other parts of her faithful. Either way, that helped to shore up her numbers and her presence in the Forgotten Realms, ever since druidic circles in Myleki's faith have emerged. Responsibilities and Duties of Clergy and Worshippers 
Clerics and druids on Maliki are charged with defending the forest, helping to maintain the balance of nature, plant four and trees where they have been destroyed, usually replanting 40 new ones for every one that is destroyed, and remove and or kill any blights or unnaturally non-native evil beasts that have made their way into the forests. In their personal lives, they should come to live in the forest, embrace it almost as an extension of themselves, and teach others about this love for the forest. The clergy will make a point of traveling to communities found on forest borders and teach the locals how both to care and show respect for the wildlife around them. Much of their teaching focuses on proper sustainability so as to limit the encroachment on forests by civilization. That and to demonstrate how the forests of the world are not only to be feared as refuges for wild and savage creatures who mean harm and destruction. Much like the clergies of Sylvanus and Eldath, Mylikis' faith are both to protect and ally themselves with the other two faiths, as well as aid the Harpers in their endeavors. Though much like Eldath and Myliki are close, so too are their respective faiths. What's more, some sources say rangers of all faiths have to be assisted by, by Myliki's faith. Orders and Priestly Bodies Tree speakers are a celibate body of elven female Mylikian priestesses strongly in touch with nature and in constant communication with it. They desire to be reclusive but will not hesitate to intervene should something be threatening their forest homes. Tree speakers are usually either gold elves or moon elves. As they send the ranks of this clerical body, a tree speaker is eventually partnered with a unicorn who will then allow the tree speaker to ride atop them as their mount. Wood Scouts are another Mylikian specialty priestly body. Wood Scouts, as their name suggests, have a bevy of skills and abilities and dress similar to that of a ranger. So much so, they often get confused for rangers. They operate in both developed communities and in the wild forests of Faerun. Wood Scouts are well versed in maintaining a peaceful coexistence between such places. The Shadow Wares are a secretive and zealous branch of the Mylikian faith made up entirely by multi-classed half-elven druid rangers. They are a militant group who go about preserving and defending the ancient forests of Faerun from any encroachment. The Shadow Wares push for offensive methods most often in order to achieve the goal of the faith. They are mostly based out of the northern areas of the High Forest. The Order of the Unicorn's Horn are a group of healers who tend to animals, plants, and people. The Druids of Tall Trees are a group of secretive and reclusive druids and their associates. They are mostly dedicated to Myliki, but some among them worship Eldath or Sylvanus. They reside in the northeastern region of the High Forest. A member looking to join the Druids is likely to be approached outside the forest by a ranger or other agent acting on behalf of the Tall Trees Druids. They will usually be set up with a small task to gauge their competence. From there, the individual will be tasked with objectives of greater importance until they are allowed to come to call Tall Trees itself. Greater successes will only then lead to an eventual invitation to join the group. Appearance and Dress The ceremonial dress of the Mylikian clergy consists of trousers, brown boots, a half cape, and a tabard. The cape is made from spider silk woven by dryads and dyed with natural dyes. There are seasonal versions of the tabard, one being sleeveless for warmer months and one that has sleeves for, sleeves for the colder months. The colors of the ceremonial dress differs with the seasons. In winter, the ceremonial dress is white with green accents. In spring, green with yellow accents. In summer, su summer yellow with red accents. 
and in the fall, red with white accents. The white and green dress of winter symbolizes the evergreens and life still carrying on despite the cold. The green and yellow dress of the spring symbolizes the awakening of new lush life in the forest. The yellow and red dress of summer symbolizes the realization of the potential of wildlife during this season. Finally, the red and white dress of fall represents the change in the leaves as they start to fall in the coming winter. A holy symbol of Mailiki carved from bone or ivory, or one that is stitched into the uniform, is always worn over the heart. While adventuring, the clergy dress according to their tasks and weather. They do tend to adhere to the colors that are in season, much like their ceremonial dress. They are well equipped with the needed pouches and packs strapped to their backs and belts. The shadow wearers go about in their studded leather or chainmail armor. Tree speakers wear elven chain armor and cloaks of elven kind. They arm themselves with short swords and long bows. Wood scouts wear leather or studded leather armor, cloaks that have earth tones, and wield short bows and long swords as weapons. The shadow wearers wear chainmail armor and forest green cloaks made of spider silk woven and dyed by dryads as their ceremonial dress. The senior members of this order wear elven chainmail that has been awarded to them by elven nobles. A shadow top tree with crisscross swords over top of it is the symbol of the shadow wearers. This symbol can be found stitched into their clothing or adorning their shields. Rituals Clerics and druids of Mailiki may pray and meditate on their spells either in the morning or evening, though they must observe both times of the day. During this time of meditation and reflection, they tune into the sounds of the forest around them. The faith holds the belief that the sounds the forest makes are direct messages from Mailiki herself. Some have put these messages to paper. The messages, while not always the same, hold the general idea that preserving and living in harmony with the forest is paramount. The Mylikian faith does not typically gather in any great number to give their praises. The form of worship given to Mailiki tends to vary from group to group. Hunters will offer their prayers to her for success in their endeavors with the promise of only taking what is needed. Wanderers and travelers will pray for protection as they make their way through forested areas, being sure to leave behind as little as possible trace of their presence. Some sing Mailiki's praises underneath the stars and ask for direction. Those undertaking a quest to write the desecration of the forest give a specific prayer to Mailiki to lend them strength. The Song of Trees is a monthly ritual. This song beckons either a treant or a dryad towards the ritual. Then the clergy member must serve the creature who comes to them for a day, carrying out various tasks for them. Due to their bond with Mailiki, Mailiki protects her faithful from the charms and enchantments of the dryads. The faith's most holy rituals are known as the Four Feasts, which are carried out on the equinoxes and solstices throughout the year. These feasts are indulgent holy days as the faith offers up many different songs of praise and to Mailiki in celebration. Rituals also take place on the nights of green grass in midsummer, and they are similar to those that take place during the Four Feasts. However, the faith carries out planting rites as they plant new flora and trees. They also take part in the wild ride. Unicorns seemingly gather on these nights and allow the Mylikian faithful to ride them bareback. If shield meat follows midsummer in a given year, the wild ride may carry forward into the next night. The dread prayer is specifically said when a worshipper goes to the light of fire. The fire that is lit will give off the needed heat in the directions indicated by the worshipper. 
but by saying the prayer, the fire will give off barely any smoke and appear dimly lit. This helps worshippers to attract as little attention as possible, while lessening the chance for forest fires. The Rite of the Staglass is an annual Mylikian ritual carried out in the Sword Coast region of Firun. It occurs on the first day in the month of flame rule that sees, it, that sees good weather. A young woman from Waterdeep is first selected to be the Staglass. She then dons the attire of a stag head mask and green tunic and breeches, all the while riding a horse bareback. The route she takes is from Waterdeep to Amphail. This ends at the stag horn flagon, where she has been poured a deep mug of strong and bitter beer. At the bottom of the mug is a piece of valuable jewelry, which is hers to keep so long as she finishes the mug. The rite is carried out to commemorate the unfortunate slaying of a Mylikian priestess some 400 years ago. The priestess is said to have been in the form of a stake when she was hunted down by Watertavian nobles who thought she was a wild animal. The priestess came to the stake horn flagon wounded seeking aid. She succumbed to her wounds unfortunately. Many including Mylikians themselves hold that the priestess was Mylikian herself and now the tavern where she died is viewed to be sacred. So much so Mylikians come to this tavern once every year to kiss the bar. It is said that after the faithful kiss the bar, any time during the rest of the year, they may ask Mailiki a question and she will in turn answer that question truthfully. This rite is typically sponsored by the Mailikians themselves. The young woman who participate in the rite is afforded a fair amount of prestige upon the rite's completion. The young woman is chosen by the Mailikian faithful as well, after it has been deemed that she is humble and upstanding. Far more said about this rite at Dragon Magazine issue 274. General Locations of Temples and Shrines Most worship to Mailiki tends to be carried out in known sacred glades and shrines. What temples they are consist usually of a stand of trees, if not an entire grove. Usually a temple will have one oak tree, which I imagine is done in reference to Sylvanus. This oak tree both serves as the home of a dryad and an altar for the temple. Mylikian shrines typically consist of a dead tree trunk which has her holy symbol carved into the bark. Another alternative design for a shrine is a plank of wood that has her symbol carved into it, affixed to a living tree. Such shrines also double as boundary markers by which loggers and hunters know not to cut down trees or hunt past the shrine. It is not uncommon for these shrines to be raised by foresters and loggers as their way of giving thanks to Mailiki for providing them with the needed resources. Regardless of the place of worship, woodland creatures are free to come and go as they please. Many tend to just live within the grounds of these places permanently. Specific Places of Worship The Unicorn Run found in the High Forest is a holy site of pilgrimage and worship for the Mailikian faith as well as the Harpers. Here it is said Mailiki comes to visit often. Harper legend tells how Mailiki once dwelt here. Unicorn, unicorns are known to gather and travel along the banks of the river. The trees of the high forest themselves seemingly are protected by the divine magics of Mailiki and Eldath and prevent loggers from cutting them down. The Lady's Hand is a shrine to Mailiki in the Sea Ward of Waterdeep. It shares its ground with a shrine of Sylvanus. Together, these two shrines are known as the Shrines of Nature. The Druids of Tall Trees reside in the northeastern region of the high forest. This region is known in Elven as Tuvea Manthar, where the remnants of an ancient Elven civilization known as Erlon once flourished, 
Here colossal trees ascend overhead and are likely the source of the name given to this place. The druids of tall trees act to preserve what remains of Erlon and to keep out those who seek out ancient loot and lore alike. They live amongst the branches and trunks of these massive trees where the moon elf population once lived. Now they support those elves who have returned in the hopes of rejuvenating a new elven civilization in the high forest. Here a place of worship to Myliki known as the Deep Glade can be found. An elven tree is the Halls of the Unicorn. This Mylikian temple is housed within the hollowed-out trunks of massive fallen trees. The dancing place out in the Highdale is an important holy site to the Harpers and many other faiths, including Mylikis. It serves as a pilgrimage site for several Mylikian pilgrims. Mylikians also reside at the dancing place to tend to it alongside a handful of members of other faiths. The largest place of Mylikian worship is located in a hidden mountain valley by the Thunder Peak mountain range. At the Falls of Tumbling Stars, just to the west of Lake Sember, can be found a community of Mylikian rangers. The faithful here use secret ways to gain access to this community and the healing pools that they have available to them. There is a hidden shrine to Myliki in Westwood. Once there, if fermented seeds or a very young oak tree are presented to the altar, the supplicant may receive some healing effect. Evil individuals who attempt to pray here are in turn cursed. Myliki Shrine and Moorburn Shield is found in the garden of a small fortification. Here, a gnarled tree doubles as an altar. Rusted weapons sit upon this altar from a long-dead group of rangers. It is a pilgrimage site for many of Myliki's rangers who come to leave offerings in remembrance of these fallen rangers. The offerings left here are taken away in the night. The locals say they are taken by a group known as the Sisters Who Serve, but no one has been able to identify who these sisters are. Gueron slumber is the stand of trees the demigod Gueron Winstrom is said to come to rest. The leaves of these trees are always in their autumn colors, never changing nor falling. This holy place is found just to the west of Tribor. There is no true religious structure or shrine here, but the Mylikian faithful still come here to pray. Those who sleep in the woods surrounding Gueron slumber are said to be given direction by Myliki. Long ago in Silvery Moon's history, the Moon Silver Inn was built. According to local legend, Myliki and LaRue both came to visit this very inn and were so satisfied with their stay in people of Silvery Moon that they blessed the stones of the inn. This blessing would promise safety to all who stayed under the Moon Silver Inn's roof. As time moved on, the inn came to be dismantled, but the foundation stones from the inn were taken and used to build the gates and outer wall around Silvery Moon. The locals still hold the belief that these blessed stones will help to ward out evil in the future. In Assembra, the Green Door Brothel and Inn has a hidden shrine to Myliki on its grounds. Here is a pool of water that is said to provide visions to the Mylikian faithful. It is a popular pilgrimage site where Myliki herself reportedly appeared before the famous ranger Florin Falconhand. Myliki's glade in Silvery Moon is an open-air temple. A ring of shadow-topped trees, a type of tree unique to the Forgotten Realms, encircles a mossy earthen floor. A hollow tree here contains a portal to a household within the city. The resident clergy live in this household. The House of the Three is a temple to the three goddesses including Myliki in the Rashemi Pantheon. It is found in Imilar. In the village of Nightstone there is a temple where both Lathander and Myliki are worshipped together. 
Mailiki has several shrines scattered throughout the northern forests and regions of Faerun. Named temples to Mailiki include Ranger's Refuge in Brost, the Silver Lady's Library in Myth Draenor, Mailiki's Garden on the island of Ilhan in Vilhan Reach, and the Evergreen Hall in Everlund. An unnamed shrine to Mailiki can be found in Byzantor. Unnamed shrines to Mailiki can be found in Sucomber, Arkendale, the Misty Forest, The Way In, and Everlund. Character Options For 2nd edition, a given feature for Mylikian and Crusaders and a breakdown for both the Tree Speaker and Wood Scout Priest options can be found in the supplement Warriors and Priests of the Realm. For 3rd edition, the Harper Prestige class can be found in the Magic of Faerun supplement. The Initiative Nature feat can be found in the Player's Guide to Faerun supplement. For 4th edition, a Channel Divinity Fleetness of Myliki feat power can be found in the Forgotten Realms Player's Guide. The Favorite of Myliki Paragon Path can be found in Dragon Magazine 384. The following is a breakdown of the features that I think someone deeply involved in Myliki's faith as an acolyte or otherwise would have for their background in 5th edition. For your two skill proficiencies, I take two of Animal Handling, nature, or survival. For your language or tool proficiencies, I would take woodcarver's tools and herbalism and the herbalism kit. For your equipments, I would take the acolytes from the player's handbook or take the outlanders from the player's handbook, though using some of the gold given for the outlander background to start off with the holy symbol. Finally, the feature, the ribbon feature, Attached to this background, I would use the Acolyte Shelter of the Faithful, of course, though I'd also take a good look at the Outlander's Wanderer feature. Next is just a list of subclasses from 5th edition that I think would be thematically appropriate for an NPC or PC to take if they are a worshipper of Myliki. For the Barbarian, there's the Path of the Totem Barbarian found in the Player's Handbook. For the cleric, there is obviously the nature domain, but as I mentioned way back in the beginning of the podcast, I argue that the war domain also is thematically appropriate. Not always. If the concept is right, I think it would work really well. For the druid, there's the circle of the moon and circle of the land druid from the player's handbook. There's the circle of dreams and the circle of the shepherd from Xanthar's Guide to Everything. For the fighter, I would probably take the champion or battle master from the player's handbook and apply skills and and an appropriate background to make them more ranger-like. For the paladin, there's the oath of the ancient's paladin from the player's handbook. For the ranger, I think all the ranger subclasses apply here. So this would include the beast master and hunter from the player's handbook, gloomstalker, the horizon walker, and monster slayer from the Xanthar's Guide to Everything. For the rogue, there's the scout from Xanthar's Guide to Everything. For the sorcerer, there's the divine soul sorcerer from Xanthar's Guide to Everything. And finally, for the warlock, there's the celestial warlock from Xanthar's Guide to Everything. Dungeon Master Options Start off this section, I just like to go through a list of monsters and creatures that would be applicable for the Mylikian faith. From the Monster Manual, there's the Awakened Shrub, the Awakened Tree, the Centaur, the Dryad, the Satyr, the Sprite, the Treant, and Unicorn. After that, there are many woodland creatures in the Monster Manual that would all be all tied to Myliki. Rather than list them all here needlessly, just know that if it's found in a woodland environment, 
my leaky interfaith would make use of them. From Volo's Guide to Monsters, there's the Thorny and Woodwoad. From Horde of the Dragon Queen, there's the Golden Stag. From Tales from the Yawning Portal, there is the Thorn Slinger. From Dungeon of the Mad Mage, there's a stat block for the Crow. For the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, there is the Guardian Wolf stat block. From Waterdeep Dragon Ice, there's a stat block for the Falcon. Finally, from Tomb of Annihilation, there's the Assassin, Assassin Vine and Tri-Flower Frond. Next, I'd just like to talk about a monster associated with Myleki's Faith that currently does not have an official 5th edition stat block. So, Swamp Maze are shape-shifting humanoids that can be considered like lycanthropes, though their abilities do not come from a curse. After entry into a secret sorority, a human woman typically is given a feather token, ring, or garment, which grants them their shape-shifting abilities. In their humanoid form, they look just as normal as any other humanoid would, and when they shift into swan form, they look like a typical swan, though they retain their mental faculties much like a wild-shaped druid. Swan maids are typically either druids or rangers themselves before receiving their shape-shifting abilities. Sororities and sisterhoods of swan maids are dedicated protectors of wild spaces and forests. Stat blocks for swan maids can be found in 1st edition's Monster Manual 2, 2nd edition's Monster's Manual, and 3rd edition's Book of Exalted Deeds. To round out this section on stat blocks that would be applicable for Myleki's Faith, here are just a list of humanoid NPC stat blocks to represent various Myleki worshippers and clergy. Keep in mind with the spellcasters that you can always swap out their listed spells for other spells more fitting to the themes you're trying to get at. From the Monster Manual, there is the Acolyte, Priest, Druid, and Scout. From Mordekind's Tome of Foes, there's a Total Druid. From Volo's Guide to Monsters, there's the Archdruid and Archer. From Out of the Abyss, there's the Emerald Enclave Scout. From Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, there's Druid of the Old Ways. From Storm King's Thunder, there is the Wood Elf stat block. And finally, from Tomb of Annihilation, there is the Tabaxi Hunter. We'll follow up monsters and creatures with magic items. Both Hosark is rumored to be connected to Myleki, LaRue, or both goddesses. It is a finely carved longbow made from some unknown white-colored wood that is reminiscent of ivory. Rangers and druids who look upon the bow reportedly are the only ones who can make out the faint carving of a unicorn's head that runs along the outside curve of the bow. Whenever the bowstrung is drawn back, it glows with a faint blue light. The origins of the longbow remain a mystery. Castings of legend lore to learn of it only produces an illusion of an elven female face that speaks to the hope that the hope of moon's dawning is cared for. You can find the specifics for the Bow of Hosark in the City of Splendor's 2nd edition supplement and the 3rd edition supplement that bears the same name. Much like the other holy tomes I've discussed that are found in the Prayers from the Faithful 2nd edition supplement, Yornar's Travel Companion stretches the definition of what most people would consider to be a book or a text. The companion has a crescent shape. Three rings bind the book at the midpoint of the outside curved edge. The covers of the book are made with enchanted iron wood that protect it against all known spells. The covers are then covered with well-worn leather and capped with metal at its various at its points. The pages of the book are made from what looks to be very thin slabs of polished mica. 
Each page details a single spell, and the pages themselves also seem to be unbreakable. If the companion is touched to anything corrosive or poisonous, the book becomes prickly to the touch. It also can be made to give off a faint glow, much like fairy fire so long as someone wills it to do so. The tome is named after who it is said to have owned it first. Jornar the Tracker was seen in 996 Del Reckoning. A legend says he was gifted the book by Mailiki when he found himself set upon by bugbears in a dark forest. A female voice spoke to him, saying that he was to pass along this book to a faithful servant of Mailiki. Also, who he would know in the moment who it was he was to give this book to. So, 964 Dale Reckoning, he passed it on to a priestess of Mailiki. So it has gone on. Once the companion has served its bearer well, it is passed along to another faithful member of the Mylikian faith who could make good use of it. Companion was last seen in 1335 Dale Reckoning when it was lost along with a Mylikian priestess when she was set upon by drow slavers. Its current whereabouts are unknown, and adventuring parties seeking the companion in the Underdark have never made their way back up to the surface ever again. The Silver Sickles or Soranth are the magic weapons of a once powerful Mylikian druid. They are crescent-shaped sickles with a pictograph etched into each side of the sickles. Each of these four pictographs shows a wolf-like monstrosity being killed by one of the four elements. These sickles have passed through the hands of a handful of archdruids since their initial creation. Currently, the sickles lie protected in the Horde of Guildenfire, the gold dragon who I discussed earlier. The description of the sickles can be found in the 3rd edition supplement, Dragons of Faerun. Yornar's crescent is a crescent-shaped magic item made from leather. It appears to be well-worn. Though it goes unstated, I feel safe in saying that it is almost definitely inspired by the design and importance of Yornar's travel companion in the Mylachian faith. This magic item can glow and detect poison much like the companion, along with a couple other magical capabilities. It can be found in the 3rd edition supplement, Magic of Faerun. To finish up this section of magic items, the following are just some thematically appropriate items from official 5th edition sources I feel the faith of Mylikki would have access to. From the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's the Arrow of Slaying, Boots of Elvenkind, Boots of Striding and Springing, Boots of the Winterlands, Bracers of Archery, Cloak of Elvenkind, Eyes of the Eagle, Serpentine Owl, and Silver Raven figurines of wondrous power, Gloves of Swimming and Climbing, Goggles of Night, Heward's Handy Haversack, the Agility Island Stone, the Awareness Island Stone, the Sustenance Island Stone, Hyogtum's Ointment, Manual Quickness of Action, Necklace of Adaptation, the Oath Bow, the Oil of Sharpness, Periaptive Proof Against Poison, Potion of Animal Friendship, the Bird and Tree Quals Feather Tokens, the Quiver of Elana, though obviously skin is to be a Quiver of Mileiki, the Ring of Animal Influence, the Rope of Climbing, Rope of Entanglement, Scimitar of Speed, Staff of the Woodlands, Talisman of Pure Good, Weapon of Warning, plus one to plus three Longbows, and finally plus one to plus three Scimitars. From Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, you could easily reskin a Simic Guild Signet, as well as reskin a Selesnia Keyrune. From Tales from the Yonic Portal, there's the Eagle Whistle and Wand of Entangle. From Ghosts of Saltmarsh, there's the Charm of Plant Command. 
Then from Zelda's Guide to Everything, there's the Bead of Nourishment, the Bead of Refreshment, the Staff of Bird Calls, Boots of False Tracks, Horn of Silent Alarm, Unbreakable Arrow, Walloping Ammunition, and the Rope of Mending. Alright, so thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. If you are interested in keeping up with the release of future episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and follow the podcast Twitter account at Realms Religion. These episodes are also uploaded to YouTube as well. Audio versions of the podcast can be found on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Podcasts, along with iTunes. If you wish to get in touch with me with any questions or just want to chat, my personal Twitter is at ShizEmbrace, or you can send an email to realmsreligion at gmail.com, all in lowercase. For those interested, I have posted a link in the video description to a Discord server I have set up. There is not many people on this server ever since I started it, probably well over a year ago, but it is what it is. For audio listeners, you can find the link to the invite pinned on the podcast Twitter page. In the next episode, we will be rounding out the episodes on the nature deities associated with Sylvanus and the like. The next episode will be on the neutral good demigod of trackers and rangers in the Forgotten Realms, Gueron Winstrom. Until next time, may Tymor look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode, Magic Forest, by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0.